uh, in them and having joy. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, so this is a day to have joy. Uh, in the midst of troubles, or struggles, whatever. Um, and so I think it's appropriate that I'm preaching this third service. I'd like to direct your attention to Philippians because Philippians is referred to as a, a letter of joy. A letter of joy. And um, often we think of joy, and I think we're not really um, thinking of joy in its fullest sense. I think we've, we tend to lump the word joy with happiness, and happiness is very ephemeral. It's very, uh, uh, comes and goes. I mean, you can be happy because someone gives you a gift. Uh, you can be, uh, you go from happiness to sad, back and forth. It's a very, very changeable kind of emotion. But joy is something different. And so this letter from the apostle, he's writing it from prison. Now, understand this. He's in Rome and in prison and probably going to die. He's probably never going to be released from prison. And in the midst of that, he writes this letter to the Christians at this church. This is the first church, Philippi, the first church that was established in Europe. Uh, it was when Paul was in Troas, uh, which is in Turkey, and I've been there. I've been this little little beach, this small little town, and uh, th there it was there that that Paul had this vision uh, that God told him to go to Macedonia. And he was thinking he was going to go some other places, and God called him to go to Macedonia, and so he went to uh, this town. First of all, uh, we, we he traveled by ship for for two days. He arrived at this uh, place on the northern Greek border called Neapolis. It's still there. And then he walked about eight miles south of Neapolis to a town called Philippi. This is an area that's called Macedonia. And so in this place, uh, there was no synagogue. Uh, it was a Roman town. Probably a lot of Romans lived there because they had the same privileges they did in Rome but it was a Roman enclave, and it was on this road to the east, and it was a very prosperous city. So Paul and Silas, and we know this from Acts 16, Paul and Silas were uh, going to, uh, to Philippi. They were led by the Lord to go to Philippi. And while they were there, uh, then they met this woman. Maybe you've heard the story of Lydia. She was a seller of purple. Uh, she was a very successful businesswoman. Uh, she uh, dealt with uh, uh, selling purple garments uh, from Thyatira. Thyatira is a city uh, in Turkey, uh, which is uh, just south of what is today Istanbul. And so it was there uh, in that place in Philippi that God directed Paul and Silas to go. And they are there. while they're there, there's no synagogue. And so many of the Jewish believers uh, were gathering at the river. So Paul and Silas went down the river, and they met Lydia. Lydia, uh, for the first time, heard the good news of Jesus Christ, responded. Uh, and uh, it was also there in Philippi, a few days later, when Paul was walking back and forth, uh, to uh, Philippi from uh, Neapolis, uh, that uh, there was this girl, this girl who was um, uh, who to told fortunes. She was a fortune teller, 
she was demon-possessed, demon so she had these gifts of for telling the future, whatever. Uh, and so uh, she just kept following Paul and de declaring, here these men are followers of Jesus Christ. And she was just, and so finally Paul, out of irritation, I find this miracle occurring because of irritation. It, it finally bugged Paul. So he turned around to this girl and he told her, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave this girl. And so this demonic spirit left this girl. And so she was free, except that the, her handlers, the people who, who controlled her in the business uh, aspect, they were ticked off. <laughs> and so they had uh, Paul and Silas arrested because they had uh, uh, broken up their business. And so it was in that jail, and I walked down in that jail and stood in that same place where Paul and Silas were in jail that night. And it was during that night as they were singing praises to God. And I think this is something that, that ties in with what we're going to talk about today. They were, there was joy in the midst of the darkness. There was, there was, there was, there was, there was praise, there was joy, there was thanksgiving, uh, and they were singing praises to God. In the midst of that, an earthquake uh, loosened all the doors. And so uh, the jailer, who's responsible for this jail, panicked. He's about to take his own life. And so what he does, he, uh, he starts to take his own life. And Paul yells out, I, we're still here. And he said, don't do this. So the jailer came over, and uh, he was so amazed. In fact, he led them to his home. And we're told that even his entire family received the good news of Jesus Christ. It was the next day that finally the magistrates, the, the leaders of the city, came to uh, release Paul. Uh, he had gone back to the jail, this way, standing there in front of the jail. And uh, so they, he, tell, he tells them what happened, and they ask him to just please leave. Uh, and Paul uh, says, uh, well, you have no right to do this because we're Roman citizens as well. So they were thoroughly embarrassed. So that's the, this backstory. You have to know the backstory of why, why does he write this letter. So now, bringing it up to date, uh, the writing of this letter is 12 years later. And 12 years later, after this church, who was very supportive of Paul and his missionary work, and supported him and helped him, they sent Epaphroditus. Can you imagine being called Epaphroditus? They sent Epaphroditus uh, to Paul in Rome and taking supplies, food, and whatever, because you had to provide your own food in jail, you had to provide your own clothing, whatever. And while it was there, Epaphroditus fell ill. He almost died. So now, Paul is writing this letter. Twelve years later, he's in jail. He's going to be put to death. There's no escape. He sends Epaphroditus back with this letter. And this is where we are in the first chapter of Philippians. In the first 18 verses, Paul is really telling us, what can we do when the times really are rough? What do we do when we're in the valley? What do we do in the midst of darkness? How, how, do, how do we have a spirit of joy in this place where it is just purely horrible? And so uh, follow with me just at these few verses, verses 9, 10, and 11. And I'm going to read from this translation. 
And this is by prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come today, uh, and we come with different things that happen. Here, I spent three hours with a AAA uh, transport carrying, carrying my car to the garage. Or whatever. But that's nothing. That's nothing to the things that people face today. We've heard about these children who have no home, uh, have no uh, place of security uh, they're actually like refugees. Uh, and Lord, as I have been in places where there are people who, refugees and people who've lost in uh, so much, uh, who are victims of violence. And so, even today, as we're gathered here, there are people in this room, uh, if they begin to tell their story, they would tell the story of such great difficulties and hardship. And so, to try to talk about joy in the midst of that, it almost seems like anachronism. It doesn't seem like it's possible. How can we have joy when all these bad things happen, when we're down the valley and it's dark and there's no, no answer? We feel as if our financial problems are overwhelming. We feel as if uh, this uh, relationship problem is so great. Uh, what can we do? And so often we feel despairing because it doesn't make sense. And so often because of that, we despair. We give up. And so I pray that you'll help us today to hear from your word how we can have hope and joy in Jesus Christ. For we ask in his name, amen. I think Paul, in this letter, in these few verses, he's establishing certain truths, certain things that you have to hold on in life. Because the, the way that life goes is there are different things that just come in life. And you, you, you wonder, you wonder why. Uh, you're so uh, frustrated because it seems like things start to go okay and then it goes bad again. And, and so uh, for a lot of people, uh, life seems to be, be been dealt uh, just a blow, one blow after another. But I think he's establishing these central truths that our lives, what he's saying is, our lives begin and are finished on the grace of Jesus Christ. It's really about God's grace in the midst of a life of difficulty and turmoil. So this life that Jesus Christ promises to us, he's not promising comfort and calm, but he's promising his grace. And this internal compass in the midst of this storm, this internal compass points us to Jesus. It is something that carries us through, and this is Paul's situation. How can he be talking about such joy when he's facing probably the end of his life and probably a very horrendous end of his life? But he has this internal rock of confidence and that it produces peace. So the two things that Paul is establishing that changes the story, that reframes the story, reframes our life, 
from one of despair and frustration and anger and all those other feelings to one of hope and life and joy is this work of grace. One thing I notice, that one of the works of grace is praise. Now, not too long ago, I was in Gaza. Gaza is a virtual prison. Uh, the children there, working with children, there's a, there's a Christian school, uh, they, uh, every time an Israeli jet goes over, they cringe because they're not sure another bomb is going to fall. Life is so uncertain. And so uh, in the midst of that, what do we do? Paul gives a, a different word here. He talks about that we are partakers in grace. In other words, we're involved. We're, 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 it's like immersed. We're, we're, it's like grace has washed over us. Instead of, because what, what is the, the nature of the human story? It's fear. It really is. I mean, if you begin to be honest about your life, so much of your life is dominated by fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear if you're going to be able to make it financially, if you're going to pay your bills, you're going to be able to, how are you going to handle this family situation? How are you going to handle this work situation? Life is filled with fear. So, so often our life is so filled with fear, instead of a walk of faith and joy, our life is fearful. <coughs> but Paul says, may your love abound. Instead, instead of fear, Paul is saying, may love dominate in your life. And how, how does it dominate? He, say, he gives some qualifications. He says, he says, in knowledge. If you put the verse back up again, uh, Paul is saying that uh, this love, he says that you may grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. How, how, do, you, how do you counteract all the stuff that you, maybe after the election, some of you are happy and some of you are sad. I don't know. But I think there's a lot of uncertainty about our life, our future. What, what do you do? How do you, how do you function day by day? How do you have a, a walk of joy and an uplifted head and, a, and an attitude of praise instead of fear dominating your life? Well, I think, first of all, Paul is saying you have to be in the Word. You have to be having God's word direct you because if you don't have the word of God central in your life, all you're going to do is see the newspaper or the TV or internet or whatever, and it's, uh, it just, it's fearful. It's, it's bad. And so he says, I want, I want this love, this love of God that you have. Now because of the grace of God, you're, you're, you're enveloped. You, one scripture says you're bound up in the bundle of the living. Now you're bound up. Now, now you have God's love surrounding you. Now you're not alone. It's not just you with your problems and struggles. Paul is saying, he, he says, now there is something that has happened because of the grace of God. You're, you've been changed. You were this way, lost, no hope, could not find the way, and now you've been found. You've been set free. You've been delivered from the power of darkness. You've been set free. Just like this girl who was, uh, who was giving fortunes and making all this money for people. He said, you, you, be free in Jesus Christ. Now, now you're free. And so because of that, he says, may this love grow in knowledge. That is, in knowledge and depth of insight. 
take stock of where you were. I mean, even if to this afternoon, uh, just take a piece of paper and write where you were in your Christian life. When you came to know Jesus, what was happening? What was taking place in your life? What was, what was the dominant fears in your life? Where are you today? And so Paul is, is giving this, this, uh, this, this reminder that we are to uh, seek what is excellent. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. So he's talking about this transformation that takes place as you begin this walk, this journey with Christ, and it, it is a journey. It's a walk. It's, it's a daily walk. But is it that you're just relying upon life the way you saw it before, the way you functioned before Christ? Or is it one of dependence upon Christ? Is it one of, uh, uh, of seeking the best uh, that, that God gives to you? Uh, and so he says that this is because you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, the fruit of righteousness. Is your life life-giving? Uh, is, is your life more abundant? Is it richer? And Paul is asking, you've you begun in grace, but are you continuing just with you trying to do it? He says, are you really having this walk where you're walking with Christ? Is it... Is your, are you really growing with Christ? Are you really, really walking with Christ? Are you just staying superficial? Are you just playing at it? Are you just, is it just a, a job or uh, a, a, some responsibility that you're trying to do? He said, otherwise, is, if you don't have this, this genuine walk of, with, with Christ, he says, you're not going to have joy. And I think he can write this sincerely because he's saying, you don't want to play spiritual games. And, I, and another thing I've noticed in working, because I've been in these countries with people having been suffering uh, uh, all kinds of horrible stuff, and there are those who are victims, and, and, and there's a difference between those who are victims in Christ and those who are victims. Let me explain that. I was in Bethlehem, and that's in the West Bank. And I was meeting with different pastors and I was hearing the story of what they're dealing with. Uh, on one hand, they're, they're hit on one side by the Israeli side, and on the other side by the Muslim side. They're, they're caught in the middle. And they really are victims. Life is made miserable for them. They can't, you can't travel easily. Uh, you can't you tend to your farms easily. You're trying to get water. I mean, it's just a constant life is one hassle after another. And I would listen to them, and then I would hear two different stories. I would hear the story of those who found this joy that Paul is talking about, this kind of abounding in God's love, really, really lavishing in God's love, really, really living, really just relishing uh, in God's love, even though the circumstances are difficult. And there were those who had joy, even though they were victims, but they didn't see themselves as victims. Logically, yes, they are victims. Then there were those that I talked to 
who had this victim mentality. All they saw was all of the hardship and all the suffering and all the abuse, which is real. Both had this. But all they saw was this hardship and this abuse. And there was no joy. There was just the feeling that they were victims. It really spoke to me. Because here, here I'm riding in this AAA truck with this uh, man that I think, I think what happened today was I needed a divine appointment. <laughs> God gave a divine appointment for me to spend over an hour and a half with this truck driver hauling my car because he needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I think that's why I was there. Uh, and so Paul is saying, I, I'm not looking at my story as a victim. I'm not looking at my story and being prison. Poor, poor me. Uh, don't you feel sorry for me? Uh, instead, Paul is concerned and he prays for the Christians in Philippi. It's a complete reversal of what you would think normally would be occurring. In this first chapter, just read it this afternoon. Paul is he's pouring out his heart of concern for the Christians there in Philippi. He's praying for them. I think something happens like when Paul and Silas were in prison. Instead, they could have been uh, grumbling, complaining. They could have been uh, just fearful by what's going to happen the next day. They don't know. All this, all this that could have been going through in minds, sitting in the darkness, uh, probably in chains over in the corner of this prison. Instead, what are they doing? They're singing. There's praise. And that's something I've noticed with people who are victims, real victims is there's a uh, spirit of thanksgiving and praise. And there's a concern for others. And what they have done, like in just a few weeks, I'll be back in Uganda. I'll be back in that place where these children have been abducted by the LRA, former child soldiers and sex slaves, by the hundreds, will be working with these, these workers, teaching them how to work with traumatized kids. I'll be back in a situation where there really are victims. Life has been hmm. <laughs> it's not good. But in the midst of that, what they're doing is they're reaching out with the good news. And I, I, I'm amazed as I'm with them. The joy that they have. Even life is really hard. I mean, you you just can't imagine the difficulty of trying to work in that kind of situation, but the joy they have. I think Paul's word today, is this word today, is if you're really going to grow in Jesus Christ, one, you have to be recognizing that you're only here because of God's grace. It is God's grace. It is God's unmerited favor. He, he has called you. You know, the, the definition of the church, the body of Christ, uh, the Greek word is ekklesia, which means you've been called out. You've been, you've been, called, you've been, you've been set apart. You've been delivered. You've been, you've been removed from this place and brought to this place. And so as you take stock of where you were and where you are today, 
Is there a, as you evaluate your life, is it a life dominated with joy or a life dominated with fear? Looking at all the problems because that's what you can do. You can look at all the problems or you can be filled with the Holy Spirit producing fruits of righteousness. And what are those kind of fruits of righteousness? That has been, like Paul writes to the Ephesians, be kind, tenderhearted, preferring one another. Those kind of qualities, those, uh, there's a sweetness. My grandfather, who was a pastor, who really influenced me to be a pastor, he always prayed, Lord Jesus, keep us sweet in our spirit. And I think that's true. Keep us sweet in our spirit. So the, the fruit of the spirit of righteousness is one of graciousness. I mean, to, to be filled with God's grace is to be gracious. Are we gracious people? Are we people who are tender-hearted? Do we see the needs of others? Do we reach out to others? Do we give a kind word? I think here, Paul is helping us to get their bigger picture. As I've said before, there are two essentials that you have to hold on uh, equally. One, you have to hold on this, that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is in control. But also God is good. And God is working in our lives. I think we have to hold those two things, providence and sovereignty, that God is good and God is in control. And Paul, looking at his life, and he sees it's only good. Not that he's de denying the reality of what he's facing. But he sees that his life is in God's hands. And the joy that he has is the relationship with the living God who reaches out to him and embraces him and holds him. I think that's the call today of the church. I think too much in our American culture are we concerned about being happy, but not concerned about being filled with joy. And I pray that God will just give us a joyful spirit. Here we are at this transition time. You're waiting for the new pastor to come. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to, to hold on. Some people have stepped back and say, well, not yet. But I'm thankful that together we're trusting that God in his timing is accomplishing that which is good and perfect. And so there's no reason to be afraid. There's a spirit of joy. And I think that's what God has given to this congregation is a spirit of joy and thankfulness. And I think out of that comes that praise and honoring Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we bow before you today, we admit, we admit, there is too, we're too prone to be controlled by fear. Because there's a lot to be f afraid of. There's a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot of things that face us that we don't know what to do we don't know how to solve it. We don't know which way to turn. But we're thankful that because of your grace, you've set us free, just like you set free that girl on that road uh, to Neapolis. And you set her free from that bondage, uh, the demonic spirit. You can set us free from the spirit of fear. Jesus set us free from the spirit of fear and give us joy. Help us to help. Help us to have joy 
uh, in our lives, even as we face these circumstances. And we may, in fact, really be victims. Things have been done to us. But instead of looking at all of this and caught up in all of this fear and, and anger and frustration, instead you will give us joy. It's because of your grace. Because of your grace, you give us your peace. Lord Jesus, that's what we long for. That's what we ask for. And that's what we claim in Jesus' name. Amen.